we're starting a new series of lessons today, and I've been looking forward to this series of lessons for a while. I have to let you know that today is foundational. I have prayed today that we would be inspired and our gray matter would turn a little bit. Today is not eminently practical, but I want you to know this series will be very eminently practical. But today we're going to begin the series and lay a foundation for the series by looking at ourselves. But we're going to begin today by looking at God. A farmer plows his field, he sows his seed, fertilizes, cultivates, and waits. The farmer knows that ultimately he is utterly dependent on forces beyond his control, but he also knows that if he does not do his part, he will not harvest a crop, and he and his family very well may not eat. The farmer knows he's in a partnership. He knows that his efforts are really secondary, meaning the forces that cause things to grow are completely out of his hands, but he knows that what grows depends entirely on his effort and his participation. So we're beginning a series of conversations today about what's certainly, what's certainly the most important topic related to our spiritual lives and well-being. In fact, it may be the most important topic related to our lives as a whole. This topic affects all of our relationships, especially our relationship to God. It affects our happiness, it affects our sense of purpose and meaning, and our fruitfulness. We touch on this topic frequently here at Gateway, as does every group of people who gather together in Jesus' name. We call it different things and we look at it from different angles, but it comes up regularly because it's so important. The topic before us for the next six weeks is personal holiness. Now, when I think of the word holiness, I think of the old family Bible that my sisters and I found at the back of one of my sister's bookshelves when we cleaned out her house after she died. Honestly, I was afraid to open the Bible when I found it. I thought it might fall apart. The cover was worn. The pages were brown. Some of the images were dulled. The word holiness seems like that. It feels old school in the extreme, but I assure you it's as relevant as any topic we've ever discussed. Personal holiness affects how you do your work, how you parent, how you spend your money, even what you think about. Over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about the kind of character that God is establishing in us and how we participate with him in allowing and encouraging it. We're going to talk about how to resist the desires and habits that derail us and that really result in our emotional and spiritual death. We're going to talk about how to allow God's character to shine through us and what it means to be designated for a purpose what it means to be special to God. We're going to talk about personal holiness. We're going to talk about being set apart. So what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to read a passage that's kind of a launching pad. We're not going to talk about this passage today. We will before this series is over. But honestly, it gives a really good glimpse at what personal holiness is. It's an exhortation from Peter. And it's, you know, one of Jesus' best friends, and it's written to a church that was living in really tumultuous times, not unlike today. In their case, they were people who were, at least mildly at this point, being persecuted for their faith. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. And just a little paragraph that gives us a glimpse at personal holiness. And then we're going to step aside and we're going to talk first about the holiness of God. 
And then we'll tee up the whole series at the very end by referencing back to ourselves. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 18, and let's go old school. Let's stand out of reverence for God's Word. Listen to Peter's exhortation and capture these images if you can, because they are rich. Therefore, as a result of he's made this opening titanic theological, philosophical statement, he says, therefore, prepare your minds for action and be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I'm holy. You may be seated. So chances are, when we think about holiness, the first thing that comes to our mind is probably moral purity. And that's certainly true of the Bible's picture of the holiness of God. There is moral purity. The first repeated usage of this word holiness in the Bible is found in the Old Testament, one of the first books in Exodus, and it's in a strange context. It's in the context of when they're describing the priestly garments and the whole kind of weird sacrificial system, and repeatedly he uses the word and the image of holiness to describe everything that's going on and the garments and what they're supposed to do. And they had to go through elaborate ceremonial exercises to make sure that everything was holy. In other words, they wanted to make sure that things were pure, that they were undefiled, that they were free from sin and from corruption of any kind. You can look at some of those practices and recognize that God was providing for it to be free from bacteria even. It was to be unpolluted, undiluted, pure, free from sin. A.W. Pink is a famous pastor and theologian. Early in the 20th century, he wrote a book called The Attributes of God. He says this of God's holiness. He is holy because the sum of all moral excellence is found in him. All that God does is good and right. His judgments and his actions of every kind are good and morally right and utterly pure and undefiled. That God is holy means that God is morally pure and right and good and just in every way and in everything he does. And it's interesting that for you and I, when our faith gets tested, when we get to one of those moments when several things line up against us and we think, is there even really a God? This is usually the point at which we question, you know, is he really good? Does he exist? The holiness of God certainly means that God is morally pure and absolutely undiluted and free from sin. It's interesting to note how clearly we see this in the life of Jesus. John chapter 8, there's an interesting exchange between Jesus and some of his critics. And he's in the middle of this very heated exchange with a group of people who are accusing him of lying and his actions of coming forth from the devil, and he kind of returns the criticism at them and says, you know, actually, you're of your father, the devil. And then listen to what he says. This is unbelievable. Because I tell you the truth, this is John 8, verses 45 and 46, because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I like what one commenter said about this. He said, 
It's not their failure to answer that's so significant, but the fact that he even dared to ask the question, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If you're familiar with the Bible, then you know how consistently this impression was expressed by Jesus' first followers. Peter, later in this same book in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, Peter said he committed no sin. John, in one of John's letters, 1 John, recorded for us in what we have as chapter 3, John says, in him is no sin. These are people that lived with him for three years. Once Diane and I had lived together for three days, she couldn't say that about me. (laughs) Paul said of him, he had no sin. Jesus was morally pure. This is what we think of, first of all, when we think of the holiness of God. When we think about holiness, though, we should also think about, and we should think primarily about, and I'm going to make up a word here, we should think about uniqueness and set-apartness. This is primarily what the Bible means by the concept of holiness. And I'd like to, if I can, uh, bear with me. I'm going to read a couple paragraphs from one of my favorite theologians, seminary professor, and best-selling author, a guy named R.C. Sproul. And Sproul says this about the holiness of God. Sproul says, talking about how you define the word holiness, he says, our problem with definition is made more difficult by the fact that in the Bible, the word holy is used in more than one way. There's a sense in which the Bible uses holy in a way that's very closely related to God's goodness or his purity. It has been customary to define holy as, quote, purity, free from every stain, holy, perfect, and immaculate in every detail, end quote. Well, purity is the first word most of us think of when we hear the word holy. To be sure, the Bible does use the word this way. But the idea of purity or of moral perfection is at best the secondary meaning of the term in the Bible. And he quotes from that passage in Isaiah chapter 6, which is one of the most epic encounters with God in the entire Bible. Isaiah, he's desperate. The king has just died, and he was an advisor to the king. This was a great time in Israel's history. It was unexpected, and Isaiah goes into the temple, and he's desperate before God. How can you let this happen? And then he sees God, and it rocks his world. And he has the sense that he sees heaven, and there's a crowd of angels and what they're singing they're singing a song it's spectacular to Isaiah's ears and what they're singing is holy 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 just like we sang this morning Sproul makes this observation when the seraphim sang their song they were saying far more than that God was purity 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 he goes on the primary meaning of holy is quote separate end quote It comes from an ancient word that meant to cut or to separate. To translate this basic meaning into contemporary language would be to use the phrase, a cut apart. Perhaps even more accurate would be the phrase, a cut above. When we find a a garment or a piece of merchandise that's outstanding, that's a superior excellence, we use the expression that it is a cut above the rest. This is what it is for holiness. This, more than anything else, is what makes God, God. In fact, it's been said by more than one author, holy is really not an attribute of God. It it is almost a synonym. It's God himself. Holy is used, in fact, as a prefix for God's name and for his law and for his actions more than any other word, more than loving, more than faithful, more than almighty, God is holy. Again, 
Dr. Sproul says, when we use the word holy to describe God, we face another problem. We often describe God by compiling a list of qualities or characteristics that we call attributes. We say that God is a spirit, that he knows everything, that he's loving, just, merciful, gracious, and so on. The tendency is to add the idea of the holy to this long list of attributes as one attribute among many, but when the word holy is applied to God, it does not signify one single attribute. On the contrary, God is called holy in a general sense. The word is used as a synonym for his deity. That is, the word holy calls attention to all that God is. So, Sproul will later say that the holiness of God suggests that God is really, and I love this phrase, transcendentally separate. I've said before here at Gateway that the best way to think about the holiness of God in a comprehensive way is to think about, and this is, I'm convinced, the way the biblical authors would explain it to us, is to think about everything we know in one category. So, sand and dirt and trees and dark matter and everything that we know, everything, everything, thoughts, it's all over here in one category, which is a created category. And then over here in a completely separate category, all by himself is God. That's the holiness of God. It's interesting. We've used the phrase here before at Gateway. It's shocking to our ears, but it's interesting to think about Jesus and the first followers of Jesus had as much trouble figuring him out as we sometimes do. It's interesting to think about Jesus as this, squeezed into human skin. And it's interesting to see how this holiness appears in the life of Jesus. In Matthew 8, some of you have heard me tell this before, in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew recounts the time when the disciples, they've been in a teaching episode, and they leave, they get on a boat, and they're on the Sea of Galilee, and a storm comes up, and the disciples, many of them were fishermen, they were very, very familiar with these storms. And I understand that storms sometimes will come onto the Sea of Galilee because it's in a bowl. The storms will sometimes come onto the Sea of Galilee in a way that's unexpected and with such ferocity that it overwhelms even modern fishermen. But in the ancient Near East, it was not uncommon to read accounts about fishermen losing their lives on the Sea of Galilee in a very unexpected way. And they were in such a storm. And Jesus is in the boat asleep. And the disciples are afraid. And they go, wake Jesus up. And they say, Jesus, don't you care about us? And Jesus stands up and weirdly says, you of little faith. (laughs) What? You of little faith. And he stands on the bow of the ship and he says, be quiet! And the storm stills completely. And in a shocking turn of phrase, Matthew says, now he uses an even stronger word. They were terrified. And they look at one another and they say, don't you love this question? They say, what kind of man is this? We don't have a category for that kind of man. I mean, we've never seen anybody teach like Jesus, but we know teachers. We've never seen anyone heal like this, but we know healers. But what kind of man is that? Well, it's holiness squeezed into human skin. Okay, so here's the payoff for our lesson today. If you miss everything else, don't miss this. We are called to display this characteristic in our lives. (laughs) That doesn't mean that we're called to be in this category. It means that somehow, weirdly, mysteriously, this category 
will find a way to ooze in and seep in and reflect. Ooze out of our pores. This is what we're called to be like. God is making us holy, and we are participating in that work. Let me say that again. God is making us holy, and we are participating in that work. Look, there are some of us here this morning who have drug habits in. Things that you've thought about, things that you've said, things that you've done, things that you've looked at this week that have been a blanket over God's holiness showing through you. And God intends slowly over time to peel back that blanket and to allow his character to shine through you literally. He intends to make you holy. And you and I participate in that work. Once again, 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 through 16, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed as obedient children. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You don't have to. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy, because I am holy. Simply put, this means, first of all, that we will be like God in our character and our motivations. We'll be like God in our character and our motivations. We'll be good. We'll do the right thing. We'll live with the highest degree of integrity. We'll make decisions sometimes that seem crazy to those around us. Because they're just right. They're good. We will not be defiled. We will not be polluted. We will not be stained by sin. Secondly, it means that we will be utterly devoted to the cause of Christ as to our meaning and purpose. That's what we'll live for. We'll live for His life being reflected through us. His glory and His story being told through our story. A number of years ago, I was at a... uh, weekend retreat conference kind of thing and I met two brothers I don't even remember their names but they had a profound impact on me affected me in a way that gave me a picture of this gave me an understanding perhaps my first understanding really of holiness in human skin one brother was uh, also in ministry, had brought his brother to this conference, and the second brother had special needs. So there were a group of us who would periodically meet over the course of the weekend. And we were in a prayer time, and this one brother began to you know, pray for his younger brother, weeping for his younger brother. He had serious physical challenges, very serious heart issues. He took a bag full of medication. And then he had intellectual challenges. You know, at the time, we would have called him slow. Prayed for his brother, weeping over his brother. God, heal my brother. Do this in Jesus' name. Sometime later in the weekend, I was in another prayer setting, and the younger brother this time was in the circle praying with us. I'll never forget, the younger brother prayed, a whole group of us prayed trying to 
out eloquent one another. And then the younger brother prayed, and he said, God, I thank you so much that you made me like you made me. I thank you that I have to take medication. I thank you that I'm not like everyone else. Because then I wouldn't know how to trust you. I wouldn't know how much I needed you. Jesus' name, amen. Of course, we're all convicted and blown away. We're walking away, and somebody else was with me, neither of the brothers. And they made a comment. Obviously, I still remember to today said, I've never seen holiness up close before. It's not position or accomplishment or accumulated stuff that gives our life significance. It's not charisma or cleverness or strength that enables us to positively impact others. It's holiness. Personal holiness allows us to see God. Personal holiness gives wings to our prayers. Personal holiness emblazons our life with the life of God and makes our lives a blessing to others. Personal holiness makes us fruitful. We began today by talking about a farmer who plows his field, sows his seed, fertilizes, cultivates, and waits. The farmer knows that ultimately he is utterly dependent on forces beyond his control, but he also knows that if he has not done his part, he will not harvest a crop, and he and his family very well may not eat. The farmer knows he is a, in a partnership. He knows that his efforts are secondary, meaning the forces that cause things to grow are completely out of his hands. But he also knows that what grows depends entirely on his effort, on his participation. That's the nature of the work of personal holiness. In 1 Peter 1, the passage that we've read twice, where Peter calls us to be holy, he's actually quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from a section in Leviticus, chapter 19 and 20. Leviticus is called a priestly document because it's believed to have been written by a group of uh, ancient Israelite priests, and it's full of prescriptions for how priests should do their job in order to do it with holiness. It also contains sections directed at the people in general, full of specific instructions about everyday affairs. There's stuff in there about eating and don't defraud your neighbor and sexual relations and not stealing and not slandering and anger and all kind of stuff about everyday affairs. These are given in order to show the reader what holiness looks like every day. In the middle of that section where he's given us this list of everyday affair, here's what holiness looks like. He says this in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. And in that section, Moses gives us the following directive from God. And and I want this to be a title over what we're going to say for the next five weeks. Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. Consecrate yourselves and be holy. Because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. 